there is far more of an ecosystem to support searches for diverse candidates now than there would have been perhaps 15 years ago. Institutional investors will be, you know, a critical driving force on diversity. I think you can underestimate the influence of, of investors and other stakeholders. There seems to be a broader acceptance that, you know, more board diversity brings different perspectives that help the company develop better strategies. Welcome to the Exchange Feed podcast series. This is your host, Tanya Roundtree, Global Head of Client Success at TMX Group. And joining us in today's discussion on going overboard is Rahul Bardwaj. Rahul is the President and CEO of the Institute of Corporate Directors, an organization of nearly 15,000 members committed to improving national outcomes by growing the board leadership and governance capacities within Canadian businesses, agencies, and non-for-profits. And in April of this year, he was appointed chair of the Global Network of Director Institutes, a global network representing more than 150,000 directors, which is focused on developing and promoting leading practices and programs that enhance the capability of directors to drive sustainable performance for the benefit of shareholders, the economy, and society. Rahul, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Also joining us today in our discussion is Rima Rabchandani. Rima is a partner at Tory's Law Firm, and she, in fact, co-heads the Canadian Capital Markets Practice. And Rima's practice focuses on corporate and securities law, including public and private financings, corporate governance, and mergers and acquisitions. Rima, thank you so much for being with us today. Great to be here, Tanya. Now, I have to say that this is a really timely discussion, this topic of diversity on boards. In fact, the CSA, the Canadian Securities Administrators, announced just today that they'll be doing further research and consultations with issuers, investors, and other industry stakeholders on its consideration of broader diversity on boards and in executive officer positions. And now this is set to begin now, pretty much, um, through to the end of the summer. This research and the consultations are particularly important in light of increasing attention uh, being given to diversity in all segments of society, and including, of course, in our own boardrooms. So I'd like to kick things off by giving our listeners just a bit of a background and was hoping that you could each describe a little bit about your organizations or your roles in terms of board member composition. So let's just jump right in with Rima. Sure. So... So Tories is a full service business firm and I'm a securities lawyer. So typically when I get involved in this discussion, it's to advise public companies and boards who are focused on best practices from a governance perspective, who are hearing the calls for increased diversity from investors and from other stakeholders and who are wanting to be responsive to it. So, you know, Usually uh, I get the calls because people want to know, you know, how how are we doing? Are we doing well relative to our peers? Can we be doing better? And then also, you know, disclosure. So I'm a securities lawyer. So most of my clients will be focused not only about, you know, following good practices and, and thinking about how to improve diversity around the boardroom table. But then, you know, what do we need to disclose um, to the investing world? about what we're doing. So that's typically uh, how I get involved in this conversation. 
So the Institute of Corporate Directors, we're focused on directors and the full continuum of their journey as a director. And this might be for people that are just beginning their journey uh, to become a director to those who are very senior directors and everything in between. Big focus is on director's education. So many would know our director's education program uh, in partnership with Rotman leads to a designation called your ICD.D and that's very corporate uh, focused. And we also have not-for-profit programs, short courses on, on issues from artificial intelligence to board oversight of culture. So um, if you're a director or someone that wants to become a director, uh, we've got something for you and we have local chapters across the country. So it's a large community of director leaders. And as a part of this, we also have our directors register. And this is something people are quite keen to know about. It's an opportunity for people to actually uh, post their profiles and resumes on a director register. So we work with many of our clients who are seeking candidates for their boards. So we would actually even help organizations develop a board matrix that supports their strategy. And we work with them as a part of the suite of people that help them actually recruit directors. And of course, we've got lots of um, individuals from various diverse backgrounds as a part of the director's register. And we can touch on some of that in the conversation later on. Yeah, definitely. You certainly do. Um, so, so straight off the top, I'm keen to have, have your opinion uh, from both of you about, about if you believe that we have enough systems in place, and, and that includes training, registries, people, to achieve diverse boards uh, for each Canadian company. In other words, do we have a pipeline problem in Canada for diverse talent that can fill board roles? Let, let's begin with you, Rahul. So it's a great question when you think about the, the word pipeline. Um, there's, there's no doubt that when we look at senior executives and senior management at a lot of corporations, there might not be a pipeline of diverse candidates they're seeing there. So a part of creating a pipeline for board candidates is to be working with our corporate partners to also talk about how do you create more opportunities for diverse candidates to get senior roles in corporations, because that's often the very skill base and the baseline for uh, doing work, uh, particularly on corporate boards. When you get outside the corporate sector and you're into the community sector or often into to the charitable sector, you'll find that there are a lot more opportunities for those organizations to build boards that reflect the communities they serve in. So is there a pipeline problem I'm not sure I would quite call it a problem, but there's certainly an opportunity to develop more of a pipeline of both senior executives that's going to help enhance the pipeline for more uh, board candidates. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Rahul. I think, you know, part of the, the challenge is it's not like every board member is a former CEO or CFO. So I do think, while for sure, you know, having that management expertise, that senior management expertise is often uh, an important uh, you know, skill set to have when, when thinking about being board ready or uh, thinking about potential candidates for the board. But I think there's, you know, there's a broad range of other skills that get represented around the boardroom table um, that don't necessarily require us to tap into those sort of traditional senior management roles. So, you know, I think that there is a, a lot of talent out there and there's lots of um, organizations out there that are helping people uh, find um, those right skill sets. You know, Raul's organization is, is one of them. 
maybe we can just um, explore the question a little bit about how boards can broaden their circles um, to help identify and recruit candidates from more diverse backgrounds and some of the things that you're that you're seeing being employed or, or working effectively. Yeah, like I, I think most boards appreciate that their own networks are not likely to produce a rich pool of diverse candidates. Yeah. And, you know, historically, those networks have, have often been tapped as a source for, for candidates uh, for the board. So I think, and Raul, uh, be interested in your thoughts, but I think many boards now turn to search firms to help them develop candidate pools. Um, and, I, and I think all of the mainstream executive search firms are all quite skilled at this now because, you know, it's their business imperative. Most of their clients are seeking diverse candidates, and that's true both at the board level and at the management level, as Rahul mm -hmm. was referencing in terms of you know, that pipeline for potential board-ready candidates. So I think there's, there's a lot of help out there for issuers who are focused on improving diversity. Um, and there's lots of organizations that are you know, singularly focused on this issue. So organizations like the Canadian Board Diversity Council, who maintain a roster of board-ready candidates from, you know, backgrounds that are traditionally underrepresented. So, you know, you seek it out and you will, you'll find it. Yeah, I would have to agree with that, you know, particularly if I bring it back to the, the pipeline conversation. Uh, you know, if you can't find somebody, if that's the, the typical refrain from some, for some companies, I would suggest you're probably not trying hard enough or looking hard enough and maybe looking differently. And I think that there's far more of an ecosystem to support searches for diverse candidates now than there would have been perhaps 15 years ago. And I think, you know, Reem is absolutely right that the uh, search companies, the executive search companies have got really strong teams that are able to follow people in their careers and have wide networks to, to work with companies to bring those candidates forward. So I think it's, it's a very different world out there right now. Uh, some people are still getting used to it. And I'd say a part of getting used to it at a corporation is not to make it just an annual affair either. I think that there, you know, some folks get stuck in their work plan that says, okay, you know, we've got an AGM coming up. Oops, we've got a couple of openings. What are we going to do about it? And suddenly there's a big panic and, and off you go. I think in the search for talent, we're used to speaking about it in the context of management talent. But I think a lot of good corporations are also recognizing the importance of that as it relates to recruiting for their board. So it's an ongoing thing, not just an annual thing. Yeah, really good point. And I know the recruiters that we've spoken to are definitely suggesting that, you know, at the outset, this is being um, a requirement in their search. And I, I simply like really don't think it was two years ago. So we are seeing a measure of progress and certainly more engagement um, with, with those firms. So yeah, thank you for that perspective. Um, how impactful do you think that, you know, external stakeholders and shareholders are in terms of um, increased calls for board diversity? I'd love to get both of your perspectives on that, their influence. So you want me to start, Raul? It's, sure, go ahead. Yep. You know, I mean, I've always thought that, you know, institutional investors will be, you know, a critical driving force on diversity. Once investors start demanding diversity, you know, in the same way that they demand management to execute on other strategic imperatives, because they're viewed as being important to the bottom line or, you know, important to um, the strategy of the company, that's that's when I think you'll start to see meaningful and lasting change. 
So we're seeing that right now in the market, right? Particularly over the last year uh, with, you know, some of the social unrest in the, in the U.S. with the onset of the pandemic. Um, you know, we've seen a heightened increase um, from the institutional investor community uh, because a lot of these um, issues we've seen have been sort of shining a spotlight on you know, racial issues, inequity, um, and that translates both, you know, not just on the ground and things we're seeing, but also to, you know, corporate Canada, corporate America. Um, so we're seeing lots of that, right? High profile institutional investors coming out and and saying that this is an area that they're going to be increasingly focused on, you know, telling public companies that, you know, we're going to hold directors accountable, you know, with withhold votes um, at the annual meeting if we don't see progress being made, you know, proxy advisory firms like ISS and Glass-Lewis sort of ramping up the pressure on Canadian companies to increase the number of women on their boards. Um, you know, the NASDAQ proposal that came out, um, you know, that would require listed companies to have minimum number of directors from diverse backgrounds. So certainly a big push from the investor community that's mm-hmm. focused on diversity and diversity, I think, broadly part of ESG, which which is a, a, a dominant focus right now in the markets. And the only other thing I'd add is you absolutely, I think, can't underestimate the importance of other stakeholder groups. You know, employees, for instance, I think are a critical stakeholder group for, for most companies. Um, uh, you know, if you look at companies like Facebook, for example, who have a very vocal and powerful employee base um, that can really shape how the company responds not only to a particular crisis, but you know, in terms of, of setting the priorities um, of the company. So I, I think you can't underestimate the, the influence of, of investors and, and other stakeholders generally on, on how boards view this. Uh, I think they're listening. I would agree with what I'm hearing. And just to point out too that there are two streams of thought around this. And one that Remo was touching on quite a bit are the expectations of, of stakeholders, not only investors, but you know, we touched on employees and, and customers and the sense that the of fairness of social equity out there, that there's been a big push for diversity and there's that confluence of the social pressures. But there's also the, the very business one that I think was driving this you know, over the last couple of years. And that's the, the notion that you don't want groupthink on boards because that's a risk. And diverse boards bring different types of thinking. So diversity is really, it's, it's, it's really an innovator. It's also something that de-risks the board's role when they're looking at uh, strategy. So it de-risks their strategy. So if you're an investor, you want to know that you're dealing with a company that's got a board that's really got diverse perspectives on strategy so they can kick that around de-risk it and hopefully provide better long-term performance. And I think that we're seeing the confluence of these two things happening, one in the corporate sense of de-risking and on the other side, the one where we're really looking at it from the social pressures and the expectations of what a corporation can deliver. And I think in the middle of all of this is, you know, investors, particularly institutional investors, you know, have a have a really, you know, strong case to make here and they can really make some differences if they're serious about it. In, in terms of, you know, I think, Rima, you mentioned NASDAQ, you, we, we, you know, we've had announcements out of California. We've seen where our progress is. We know the CSA is continuing to, um, to look at this issue. 
uh, I just wouldn't mind kind of getting your perspective on if you think that enough is happening and, and should board diversity be mandated? Is this something our regulators um, should play a role in terms of requiring or encouraging um, more than they have thus far in Canada? You know, it's a tricky question, Tanya, and I <clears throat> I don't know uh, if it should be mandated. I, you know, I find, look, I think the securities regulators made a decision six years ago, and it was ultimately a policy decision, right? It was the Ontario government that, <clears throat> that kind of set this as a priority and the OSC, you know, responded to those calls. So, you know, ultimately, the, these are important policy decisions that, you know, the others will have to make. Um, but the regulator made a decision six years ago to focus on the underrepresentation of women in corporate Canada. And I think the model that they put in place, you know, was a good one in the sense that it was consistent with the disclosure regime we have in Canada, which is, you know, comply or explain. It doesn't, you know, on, on most matters of governance, uh, even when it comes to the independence of boards, for example, you know, there's no requirement that we have a majority independent board in Canada. It's it's a best practice. Um, and our rules just say if you don't have one, you just have to explain why you don't and how you go about exercising independent judgment at the board. <clears throat> and notwithstanding that those rules are mandated, it has become the predominant market practice in Canada to have a majority independent board. So I think disclosure rules can lead to you know meaningful change can lead to meaningful development of a market standard without you know going that extra step of requiring or mandating a particular uh, practice be adopted so you know that's what the securities commissions did i think the progress to date depending on who you ask you know is maybe too slow for some others feel um that you know, there's been good progress. So it kind of depends on your perspective and and your view on the pace of progress. On a personal level, you know, sometimes I'm disappointed by the slow pace of progress and wonder if something more needs to, to happen to make meaningful change. But I also have some discomfort with a mandatory quota when it comes to diversity. You know, I think quotas can be polarizing and a bit of a blunt instrument to address an issue that I think is quite nuanced. I'm keen to hear Rahul's point on, on this uh, question. So it's it's a thorny one for a number of reasons. And typically, you know, the Canadian perspective is, you know, let's let's not mandate. So we're really talking about quotas here. And I think a part of the question is, is um, what level of progress are willing or lack of progress are we willing to accept until, you know, quotas are the only answer? So in other words, if, you know, over the next decade, you know, there's significant progress, the pipelines enhance, you know, corporate culture advances, the, the systems are in place better, and we start to see good momentum, then I think, you know, you're going to see people kind of back off that conversation. Mm -hmm. If we're having, you know, more and more reports indicating that it's not happening and people seeing that the, you know, the risk factors is not where it should be and the equity factor isn't where they should be, it's going to be hard to resist that conversation. And it reminds me of a conversation that uh, we'd had at ICD, you know, close to five years ago uh, with some of our European counterparts who joined us for a podcast that we were having. And one of the individuals is a woman from Norway, wonderful woman who was a very strong proponent and leader of quotas 
in Norway. And uh, we brought her in to explain what was going on. And one of the things that we had done is we had a poll at the beginning of the podcast that essentially asked our Canadian audience of directors how many folks would support a quota. Not surprisingly, it was around 70-30 against having quotas in Canada. Then we had a conversation with our panelists that talked about the challenges they faced with making progress uh, to enhance diversity on boards, particularly in a European environment, uh, about some of the uh, the pushback they were getting in the sort, and finally the reasons they had to resort to quotas and the impact that those quotas had. And then we re-polled everybody on the podcast. And remember, it was 70-30 against quotas. We re-polled the same people immediately after, and it flipped over to 60-40 in favor of quotas. So, you know, make of it what you wish on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think uh, po people, you know, they did prefer not to have them. Uh, but there was a sense of frustration that if uh, progress wasn't fast enough, maybe they need to be revisited. Yeah. So speaking of, of making progress, I, I'm keen to know, in your opinion, if you've seen certain sectors that, that have been, um, you know, leading the charge in terms of making progress in Canada with diversity on boards. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> I think all industries have actually made progress, which is great. Um, and I think that, you know, Traditionally, you know, since the OSC started collecting this data and reporting on this data, you know, the trends that they have reported have been, you know, not surprising, I, I, I would say. Larger market cap companies seem to be, you know, more advanced on this, have more diverse boards, have more policies in place, that kind of thing, more inclined mm -hmm. to adopt targets, you know. All of the major Canadian financial institutions, I would say, are leaders uh, in this area. And so you certainly see certain sectors that um, seem ahead of ahead of the average. And then, you know, the industries that we tend to see falling behind are tech, um, and mining. Yeah. But even in those industries, what I would say, you know, and we flag this in our report that we put out uh, when we looked at the study this year, you know, even in those industries which have traditionally been a little bit behind, you can see that they're also starting to make uh, quite a bit of progress. So I think all issuers, you know, from my perspective, I think all issuers across industries are alert to this. I think boards are paying attention. And I think most of them are very well intentioned and quite focused on trying to um, affect change. I think that the rate of that change varies, not surprisingly. You know, when you talk about <clears throat> industries, uh, you know, peer groups matter in the public markets, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't you don't ever want to be an outlier relative to your peers. Um, most issuers would like to be a leader in their peer group, but you know, it shouldn't surprise us that certain industries that maybe have you know, more challenges when it comes to diversity, you know, they're all in the same boat and they're also all being measured as against their peers. So, you know, uh, seeing those trends across industry groups, I think is, is very predictable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think, you know, we're clearly seeing, you know, the larger institutions, you know, you know pension funds, financial services and the sort and making good headway here. You know, 70% of the Canadian economy are still small and medium enterprise companies that, you know, are challenged at times to make this a priority. 
And I would say, you know, over the last you know couple of years, and it's probably going to not slow down over the next couple of years, is the level of uncertainty out of that. So how much focus is going to, to really be put on this, particularly when the starting point for the conversation on board composition is your strategy and the matrix around that. And, you know, the strategies right now are under assault through, you know, various forms of disruption, whether yeah. it's, you know, globalization, artificial intelligence, the pandemic, you name it. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a moving target. You know, do I think the the conversation around diversity, particularly around diversity on boards, has it changed? I think yes. And that's the important thing in my mind, that it's a fundamentally different conversation than it was 10 or 15 years ago. There seems to be a broader acceptance that uh, that you know more board diversity, whether it's age, gender, or broader diversity, brings different perspectives that uh, you know that help the company develop better strategies. And I think you know companies are learning their way into it. Those that get it right are going to be there, for, you know, ahead of others. They're going to have better returns and they're going to have better performance. And I think that's going to lead to others getting better at doing it as well. So it's still early. I think we also, you know, have to accept that I think a part of, you know, our corporate response to the pandemic over the next years as well from a performance standpoint is to see companies accelerate in this area. So whatever we can do to help them do that, I think is better for companies than it's better for Canada. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, one, one quick question based on what you just shared in terms of strategy and thinking about, you know, the current realities that we're all uh, living within, uh, in terms of boards and, and evaluating their composition, you know, how often do you think they should be looking at this? It's pretty dynamic and fluid, isn't it? Like, how, how often should boards be considering their composition? It's a really interesting question. You know, if I go back a little bit historically, 10 or 15 years ago, you know, when you look at the various committees in an organization, uh, you know, you, you'll look at the, uh, you know, perhaps an executive committee, you'll have that in, in a public company, or you've got obviously the audit committee, and you might have some other ones there. Uh, but the governance committee was an important one, but still, that was kind of, you know, the intellectual discussions, or it, it was, it wasn't as prominent as some of the other committees, but it's become way more prominent now. You know, it's gone beyond just your own governance processes and compliance, but it's really looking at how does the board engage with management to, to really advance performance in the company and what's the role in identifying talent around the board table that's going to support these new strategies. So for instance, if you're making a big digital strategy shift, from you know the analog world into the digital world, just to keep it simple, you you necessarily need to look around the table to say we've got great people around the table, but are they the right people for the strategy going forward? And that has to be an ongoing conversation. I'd mentioned it earlier. You know there was a time when that would be an annual thing that every once in a while you pull it out, dust it off, have a look, are we ready? Where do we go? Let's go recruit. But that has to be an ongoing conversation now. Yeah. I agree with that. I think the only thing I'd add is, you know, I think the the emphasis on board assessment, board refreshment, you know, term limits, you know, all of this kind of uh, comes back to the same point, which is uh, focus and heightened focus on, you know, having the right compos composition at the board level, having the right skill set represented around the board table. And making sure that you know you have that diversity of thought, experience, mm -hmm. skill set, 
um, for the particular company. And that's an, an evolving thing too, right? When you think about technology and the importance of technology to virtually every company, no matter what industry you're in, uh, you know, we talk thinking about climate change, right? and the focus on yeah. in the last year that we've heard so much about climate change, and that is really hitting boards at the board level, right? Being being critical in terms of setting the company's strategy, uh, disclosing the company's strategy. That's a whole skill set that you know. Lots of boards, I think, have to be turning their minds to and thinking, do they have the skills they need around the boardroom table? And it never resides in one person, right? Every board, it's kind of universal. They have a skills matrix. matrix. They often publish this. So I think it is an ongoing thing of looking at what are the skills that you need represented? Do you have them? And, you know, monitoring, um, monitoring that on an ongoing basis. I think there's an interesting thing when you bring it down to the personal level where people actually have to make choices to uh, to put diverse candidates on a long list, short list, and actually bring them onto the board. And when they don't fit the ordinary mold of what a director might have been on that particular uh, company's board, there's a risk involved in this. But the same way strategies also involve risk, but that's where the opportunities come from. Those companies that are really willing to think a little bit outside of the box and embrace a little bit of risk bringing in, you know, diverse candidates onto their board that wouldn't have been the usual suspects or the usual candidates in the past. I think they're going to reap more rewards than they think. But there's definitely risk. But I think good companies will take smart risks. Yeah, important point. Uh, I simply can't believe how quickly our time has passed. And uh, I'm sad to say that we're running uh, running short on time. But before I let you both go, I'd just like to get perhaps your last thoughts or words of advice or, or maybe even a reference to resources that you might be able to share for our listed companies in terms of how they should approach board recruitment. It's a, it's a theme that keeps coming up and, and we'd love to get your parting words on that. Where would you like to go? Rima? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking about what my parting words are. Okay. So, Raul, do you want to start? Let me... I'm happy to go ahead. This is one easy. Pick up the phone and call us at ICD. <laughs> this is what we do. We help boards navigate through issues like this. Yeah. And uh, it's not unusual. And we have uh, resources there. So, uh, you know, we're happy to help. And there are other resources out there. But I think the most important thing is how do you how do you engage the organization, whether it's with the corporate secretary, with the board chair and with management to start to elevate this um, issue as a strategic issue for the organization. And once you've got that on the radar, then you start to you know, break it down into its constituent element questions. It's a great time. There are lots of resources out there and we're a very easy group to work with to, to help uh, provide those resources. I, I think my advice would be that, you know, this isn't a topic that's going away. Uh, it is has only sort of heightened, I would say, in uh, importance uh, or coverage in the last five, six years. You know, we've talked about diversity in corporate Canada, and at least from a securities regulatory perspective to date, it's been focused on women, right? And the underrepresentation of women. And, you know, it's it should be no surprise that, that co the conversation isn't limited to, to women, it's limited to, it, it goes beyond women, 
uh, you know, people are now thinking about all sorts of uh, underrepresented groups. And I guess what I would say is, from a regulatory perspective, uh, uh, my expectation is we'll start to see something come out that uh, goes beyond the representation of women. So companies should be looking out for that uh, in the coming months. Very good advice. Yeah. Uh, thank you both so much. It, it was an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time chatting with you. And I want to thank you for sharing your insights and perspectives and, you know, personal thoughts as well uh, with our many issuers who listen to this podcast series. So thank you again. And, and we hope to have you um, once again on the Exchange Feed podcast. <music>